Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. This is a special alert to all Americans who own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles with an auto warranty about to expire or with no warranty coverage at all. With summer quickly approaching, CarShield is offering a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that is available to the public to save any driver out-of-pocket expenses on future auto repairs. Call now to find out how you can pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs, like AC parts and check engine light mysteries. See why CarShield is voted America's most trusted vehicle protection company and see why our commitment to our customers has landed us an A rating with the Better Business Bureau. We have live reps here to answer all your questions. Drivers who are covered will not have to pay for covered repairs again. This protection plan is at an all-time low. Additionally, drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Visit us for your free quick quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. What do you have to lose? Visit carshield.com audio. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina, who's covering the NBA for 538. And in GQ, the latest magazine is on newsstands now or soon, right, Michael? You with your big story about Jalen Brown? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, on sale now, everyone, as I said in the last episode, go cop that. It's a great stocking stuffer. That's what I heard. Uh, you just buy like 30 copies, <laughs> hand it out to all your family members, and tell them you know the pod because you listen to him twice a week. All right, Michael, it is a holiday episode here. Big Thanksgiving weekend coming up. I am encouraging all of our Open Floor Globe members to make good decisions. Try not to travel. Keep it low-key this year. Stuff your face. Watch whatever sports you want to watch. And try to do your part in the uh, the fight against this pandemic. What we're going to do, Michael, is for everybody who's sitting around on their couch over the next couple of days, we're going to have uh, a giant mailbag. So we just took as many questions as possible from the last week or so, draft questions, free agency questions, team movement questions, all that good stuff, and we're rolling it up into an episode. It's been a while since we really took a bunch of questions, so I thought we'd try to get through as many as we could. The first one comes in from Reuven, and it's about the Los Angeles Clippers, who we really didn't talk about too much on the last episode, Michael, when we were digging into the Lakers' success early in free agency. And of course, the uh, Clippers went out and and kind of struck back after losing Montrez Harrell. They go grab Serge Ibaka with their mid-level exception. Reuven wants to know, despite a mild overpay for Marcus Morris, uh, who got $64 million over four years, 
and a savvy mid-level exception signing of Serge Ibaka, the Clippers seem to have failed to address one of their key weaknesses that led to the 3-1 collapse versus Denver, the lack of a competent pass-first point guard to orchestrate their offense, run basic sets, and get Kawhi and Paul George the ball in their spots. In your opinion, why did the Clippers fail to land a point guard in this mold during free agency? Do they have plans to trade for a two-way point guard using Lou Williams' salary, or do they just whiff on Rondo and have no plan B? So great question from Ruben. What do you make of his analysis of what the Clippers did overall? And do you still view this as kind of a, a critical lacking piece like Ruben does? So, I mean... Kawhi Leonard is someone who reportedly was a little miffed that he had to handle the ball as much as he did last season, which I understand, even though he's perfectly capable. Um, So I guess like keeping Kawhi happy is even more important than the ostensible need for a floor general, more of a traditional floor general type. Um, But at the end of the day, like the way I view the Clippers is, and just their team building strategy, like they have to match up more so with the Los Angeles Lakers and and build their team to beat the Lakers even more than just like building their team to be the best version of itself, if that makes any sense. And maybe it doesn't, but like they only have so many, uh, they only have so many options and so many ways to upgrade their team right now in the off season. And they could find different avenues as the year progresses. But right now, like, you know, they obviously let Montrez Harrell go. We're not very interested in bringing him back. Uh, Jermichael Green goes to the Denver Nuggets. And so I feel like, you know, with that mid-level exception, they needed to upgrade the front court because you're not going to beat the Los Angeles Lakers and um, how bi- with how big they are, their size, Anthony Davis. Um, obviously, now they have Marcus Saul. So they needed to to use that uh, asset or that that uh, that exception, I should say, um, on someone who's in the front court, like a Serge Ibaka, who they used it, and they they landed him, and he's a very useful piece, and I I really like that move for them. Um, that said, like you know, I I agree kind of that they need a point guard, and there's a couple still available on the market, but. I, I mean I don't really think necessarily that they 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 that was such a, a like a weak point for them. I think like you know if Patrick Beverly we talked about this in the bubble if Patrick Beverly was healthy things are different. He's someone who can just kind of set you up in the offense. Doesn't need to be a scorer. Doesn't need the ball in his hands, etc. But I, like I don't know. I, I just didn't think that there was like Rondo was rumored, but I, I never really thought that that was. Uh, the most logical fit for the Clippers? Um, I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts about about this question? Well, I go back to last summer. I felt like they were kind of the biggest winners, right? I mean, you, you land Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's the ultimate win now team. You've still got some carryover guys like uh, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams on really affordable contracts. I mean, what an opportunity to have a stacked deck. And I think what we're seeing is just kind of a slow bleed here from the Clippers, uh, you know, depth perspective. I think that Montrez Harrell, that qualifies as a, a big loss for them. I mean, not only just production-wise, but you know, they won so many games with their bench last year and the previous year, and he was practically their bench. I mean, the, the pairing between him and Lou Williams was what was driving all of it. So they're just going to look different in terms of like how they're able to, to control games, how many minutes they're able to play their stars because they don't have him back there. So I look at that as a big loss. I think coming out of the bubble, the guy they needed to move on from was Lou Williams. It wasn't quite as bad as the Eric Bledsoe situation in Milwaukee, but 
I think Lou Williams caps who you can be as a playoff team because he can't guard anybody on defense. He's going to get picked on at the highest levels of playoff series. And we saw that he wasn't ultimately that reliable in those key moments. I would have made that kind of priority one to just kind of cut the cord and move forward without him. Um, I actually like Shamit a lot for them long term, and and that, that puts a little bit of pressure on Luke Kennard to come in and uh, you know prove to that he's an upgrade. That's possible, so I, kind of the jury's still out on that one, but it's a little bit of a risk there. Uh, but I think the other issue they've got, and Ruben's question hits at this, you know Patrick Beverly being healthy would have helped them. Patrick Beverly is also getting older. Uh, and I also think that Lou Williams is getting older. And so if I'm saying just kind of on their age curve, on their development arc, is this version of the Clippers more likely to win a title than last year's version? I would say no. I mean, I thought they were really well positioned last year, and I think they're slipping a little bit. Uh, they took another loss with the Jermichael Green going to Denver. It's not the end of the world, but that was just another guy they were going to want to have in their front court defensive rotation mm-hmm. when they're trying to throw different looks at Anthony Davis. So that's a... That's a tough spot too. Now, in terms of the Ibaka signing, you, you hit the nail on the head. They had a choice with their mid-level. Do you spend it on a guard or do you spend it on a big? They had to spend it on a big uh, after losing Harrell. And they got basically the best one available. I thought it was a really nice salvage play. At the same time, I'm not willing to go so far to, as some people who are saying, well, Ibaka fits better. Therefore, he's actually going to be better for the Clippers than Montrez Harrell. There's no question the Clippers needed that interior defense and that versatility factor. But Serge Ibaka is not going to be a postseason answer to Anthony Davis to me. And obviously, Montrez Harrell wasn't either. But um, I don't think he's like such an amazing fit that you would say they somehow upgraded to that spot. I think it was a good save. And there there really would have been a disaster had they not gotten him. But you know, to me, he looked old at times during the playoffs. Both he and Marcus All, I think, you know, struggled at times against the Boston Celtics in the second round series. And so, you know, I'm not viewing that as necessarily like a giant, a gigantic home run. I think Reuven's right. They need to go figure out their backcourt. They need another real ball handler. I would be moving on from Lou Williams, and it wouldn't be necessarily just a strict addition by subtraction if you trade him, but I do think it would just you know change up their mix in a positive way if they did move him. And uh, you know from there, uh, I think that you know to me, I would put it this way: they treaded water this summer at best, and the Lakers kind of swam laps around them. <laughs> um. I think, you know, we talked about the Lakers in our last episode. I think the Lakers definitely hit a grand slam with the moves that they made. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to repeat as champions, but they won the offseason. I think it's really hard to dispute that. Well, Um, here's a funny question linking these two teams from John in Southern Bohemia. He writes, the Clippers gave Marcus Moore $64 million for four years while his twin Markeith got the veteran minimum from the Lakers. Is Marcus really so much better or does it just prove the advantage the Lakers have as the reigning champs and longtime league monsters in securing players on the cheap? And I believe the twins were joking about this on Twitter, right? Because they have a shared bank account. So basically Marcus got paid uh, on behalf of Markeith as well. Is Steve Ballmer just subsidizing the Lakers moves now, Michael? (laughs) This is, this is a great email. Uh, by our listener here like i didn't even consider this um and then i went and i looked at the numbers and kind of compared the two statistically and it just it just it it makes absolutely no sense and i understand why marcus morris conceivably got paid 64 million and markeith got paid 
the veterans minimum. Um, it reminds like, me of that old joke, like guys like Bill Wennington would make. It's like, yeah, me and Michael Jordan, we combined for fifty-seven points. Mike had fifty-five. Like Marquise <laughs> at home, being like, yeah, Marcus and I, we we combined for sixty-seven million, and Marcus made sixty-four of them. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, that's a great point as well. Yeah, um, if you're the Clippers, you you had to you like you couldn't lose Marcus Morris. They clearly valued valued him more than uh, Montrezl Harrell or Jamichael Green. And I guess you could debate whether or not that was the smart decision. But um, I think Mark uh, Marcus Morris just you know his ability to shoot threes when they got him from the Knicks, he was just like a absolute. I, I, his three point percentage was like fifty percent or so. He was like making everything. Oh and then, man, it was an yeah. all time contract year from him, especially in the bubble. I mean, he hit like half of his three pointers. Had a bunch of key three pointers for him. I mean, I think people really fixated on all the trash talking he was doing to like Luka Doncic and you know painting him as this guy who's dirty. And obviously, Luka was pretty upset about all that. But Marcus Morris was huge for the Clippers. He was one of the most reliable p- pieces on a completely unreliable team. At the same time, do you really want to turn around and give him like Davis Berton's money uh, if you don't have to? You know, when we're saying Berton's well, might have one of the worst contracts of the summer. And I guess oh, they, they wow. have no choice. I, I, that's a different conversation. But yeah, exactly. You're, you're, that's exactly right. They didn't have a choice. And that's what happens when you're a really good team and you're just like completely capped out. And as we said earlier, they have to use their mid-level on... Um, someone like Serge Ibaka and Marcus Morris is not taking the mid-level. If Marcus Morris is out there in free agency, it only takes one team to throw a contract his way that is absolutely ridiculous, i.e. the Charlotte Hornets and Gordon Hayward. Um, So that's just an example of something like that happening where you're just kind of left holding the bag if you're the Clippers. Um, You know, I... 64 million is still quite a lot now that I'm like really thinking about this and I'm looking at the side by side statistics with him and Markeith and how similar they were. Like, what is going on there? I, like, that's just a lot of money. Um, well, I think when they I just first... panicked. Didn't they just panic? Yeah. I mean, they lose Green, they lose Harold. They're thinking, God, we don't have a front court. They have very limited avenues to replace that talent. And the choice becomes overpay Marcus to keep him. And he was important. Or what message are you sending to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who, guess what, uh, are free agents coming up next summer, right? I think it's too early for me to start the conversation on, like, what does Kawhi's future look like? What does Paul George's future look like? But I could tell there's already some people looking at these Clippers kind of like, you know, sharks or vultures. They're circling them and thinking, "Uh uh-oh, like, this could go really dark for them. I think that would be going, uh, you know, too far. I still believe they've got enough talent. Uh, to be, you know, a top two seed in the Western Conference. And if they're in that mix, you know, people should be relatively happy. But I didn't think overall, uh, you know, their total body of work here this summer was was particularly strong. And it was a little bit disappointing just given how awesome their front office is. Um, and I think that, that contract disparity, it, it helps point out, you know, the kind of bind that they were in. Here's a mm-hmm. quick question from Elliot uh, as we're speaking about some of these players. He says, Montrez Harrell is a great regular season signing for the Lakers, but Tristan Thompson, who went to your Celtics, uh, Serge Ibaka, who went to the Clippers, or Bogdan Bogdanovich, who agreed to his four-year offer sheet now with the Atlanta Hawks, and he's headed there, would have all been better signings for the Lakers in the playoffs, and the Lakers are going to miss Dwight Howard against the Nuggets, Bucks, or Sixers. So I'm not entirely sure if Elliott sent this um, before uh, Marcus Gasol signed with the Lakers, but... When you're looking at this argument, you know, in terms of how L.A. overhauled its center position by bringing in Marc Gasol and bringing in Montrezl Harrell, 
uh, trading out JaVale McGee, your biggest loser of free agency going to Cleveland, and uh, Dwight Howard going to Philly. Do you still think that they made the right move? Do you second guess that at all? And and do you hear what Elliot's saying about uh, you know potentially like Montrez's defensive limitations in the playoffs coming back to bite them versus some of the other guys who were available for that same price, that mid-level money for Tristan Thompson and Serge Ibaka? Yeah, I think that Elliot was definitely on to something before, assuming that he sent this before the Lakers uh, shipped JaVel McGee to Cleveland and cleared enough room to sign Marcus Gasol. Because Marcus Gasol just like totally changes this equation. And, you know, I, you know, there's this little debate that I'm having with some friends who cover the league. And just, I guess that's basically it because no one else cares at this point. But, like, is Marcus Gasol kind of washed up? Is that too harsh to say that about him? And can he still be a a significant contributor in a in a postseason series for a team that wants to win the championship. I kind of lean more towards uh, he's not the Marcus like the idea of Marcus Gasol is is prettier than what Marcus Gasol is at this point. And maybe I am using a little bit of recency bias here. I just keep coming back to what I was seeing. Uh, in the playoffs where he wasn't even on the floor. He played zero minutes in the last three games of the playoffs in the fourth quarter against Boston. Like he was completely unplayable, wasn't hitting threes, uh, wasn't finishing around the rim, wasn't moving very well defensively. He's 35 years old. Uh, so uh, I know this is kind of turning into an indictment of Marcus Gasol in that decision. Um, but I guess to answer Elliot's question, adding Gasol who theoretically is still a pretty solid basketball player and still can be, you know, he'll look better, I think, next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James as basically every single human being alive would. Um, so I'm not, I, I like, I don't think that it's that concerning to add Montrezl Harrell fit-wise um, after you've already added, after you, you get Marcus Gasol in the door. Yeah, no, Gasol definitely helps because they're complementary players between him and uh, Montrezl Harrell. I also think that we should point out when the Lakers really want to do it in the playoffs, when they're really pushed, neither one of those guys is going to be on the court, right? They just go to AD at the five, and when they went to their Yeah. yeah, and they went to their very best lineup. They waited all the way until the very end of the finals when they actually went to that Caruso as a starter lineup, and they ran the Miami Heat completely off the court. And you know, of course. Uh, they probably had kept that in their back pocket for when they felt like they needed it. But there could come situations in this year's playoffs where they need it earlier. And if they go to that look, I expect really good things to come from that lineup. So to me, I think they, the, the regular season aspect of this is important for the Lakers. You're wanting guys like Schroeder and Montrez Harrell to carry a lot of burden during that regular season so LeBron and Anthony Davis can rest up because they're on this short, you know, quick turnaround. Um, And so having good regular season signings is actually important for the Lakers. You don't want to fall too far off the pace. You don't want to have to deal with all the questions about, oh, are the Lakers toast? Were they overrated? You want to have guys who can, um, you know, carry you along day to day. So I think that those moves make sense. In terms of Gasol, I'm kind of in that category of he's pretty close to washed. I mean, he was really, really rough in the bubble playoffs. I thought he would actually be better, Michael, because he had like four months off to rest and he had had such a long season before that, you know, playing for mm-hmm. Spain and, and winning the title in 2019. I thought he was really going to benefit from that time off, but it didn't really play out that way. The reason why you grab him is because he's your matchup against Jokic. He's your matchup against Nurkic. He's your matchup against Zubak. You just need a big traditional body to kind of 
you know, push back on those types of players and not get overwhelmed. And you just save uh, Anthony Davis the wear and tear in those particular matchups. And I think he's at least as, uh, you know, capable given his high IQ and his size as Dwight Howard was kind of compensating with his energy uh, against Nikola Jokic. So I don't view that as... uh, you know, as any kind of step backward. I think the Lakers did the right thing there in the middle. Um, okay, let's uh, shift gears here. You got excited when I was uh, digging at Davis Bertans. Will you please explain how you feel about that move? I mean, maybe I overreact, overreact a little bit. Uh, you know, I, that did, just didn't surprise me at all, I guess. Like, he's one of the three, four, five best shooters in the world right now, and he has size and, um, like, where else are they going to spend that money if you're Washington? You know what I mean? Like um, losing well, him would let, be a let me ask total you, disaster. Did it not surprise you because Washington has a history of kind of not great decisions? Did it not surprise you because you really mm. believe in a vacuum Bertans is worth $80 million over five years? And did it not surprise you because within an hour of it being announced, John Wall said he wanted out of there? I mean, <laughs> any of these red flags popping off for you, Michael? No, I, I, you know, it's a new regime in Washington. I try to forget all the bad moves that they made beforehand. Um, I like Tommy Shepard. I like that front office. I think, you know, look at the Joe Harris contract. Um, I think if you're just a shooter, you're getting paid in the NBA now. And shooting is not going to be out of style anytime soon, if ever in our lifetime. And so if you had to move Bertans for whatever reason, you could get off that money in two seconds. But I think... Having someone who doesn't need the ball, beside if you know, assuming they still want to build around Bradley Beal, which they they clearly do, um, having someone who can space the floor is just a natural compliment, and like you have to pay to get shooting as good as what Davis Bertans is able to provide. So I actually don't think it was that bad of a move. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit harsher on it than you are. I mean, first of all, like five-year deals were very rare this summer. Almost no one gave them out, right? And if you got it, Mm -hmm. it was because you signed a rookie contract extension. So you're like your buddy Jason Tatum or Darren Fox or Donovan Mitchell, right? Bam, yeah. Yeah. Bertans is like the only guy who's not in that category who gets the fifth year. He's already had some injury issues in the past. He's recovered from them. Um, you know, it, it's not a, a huge concern from him health wise because he's not like this super athletic player. But still, I mean, he's in his late twenties. You're giving this guy a five year contract. You know, running into the the future. I mean, that that just kind of seemed out of step from the other deals that were out there. Um, and then I also can I just, just say can I can I just say real quick? Sorry to cut you off, but like. The more critical decision that I would say is San Antonio losing Bertans. I think that is just looking where the NBA is and where it's headed and what is valued. Like that is more worrisome to me than Washington keeping him, even though they had to give up the bag. So I I hear you on that. But if if letting him go means you don't have to pay him 80 for five, I'm okay with it. Because look, I mean, he is... To me, he's kind of like a Corver. He's a one-trick pony, right? He can't guard anybody really on defense, and he's a really, really good shooter. And there is a price for that, and he definitely is going to have a big impact in helping create a lot of space that's going to make Bradley Beal and John Wall look better. But there's mm-hmm. also a limit to how many minutes you can play him in a game. Like, you can't play Berton's 36 minutes in a playoff game. It's not going to work. He's going to get exposed defensively. And so, um, you know, I just view him as a little bit of a— uh, like I, I prefer Joe Harris's contract, even though that one felt a little bit steep too, because I think you get a little bit more two way from Joe Harris and just, you know, positionally he's a little bit cleaner within lineups. I mean, you could use him 
with almost any combination of players. Whereas with Bertans, like he's kind of stuck into a front court role. I mean, you, you can't have him guarding, you know, ones and twos or even like really fleet footed threes. So I'm not trying to destroy Washington. They had to do it. It was their top priority. At least they got it done so they can say that it's a win. But it felt like an overpay uh, based on the rest of the market and also just based on his uh, particular skills to me. But they need shooting. Everybody needs shooting. And so, you know, somebody was bound to uh, to get that size of a contract. All right. Speaking of uh, the Washington Wizards, we got a question from Xander in Melbourne. Actually, I think it's Melbourne, if I'm pronouncing it right. Sorry, Australia. Uh, he says, John Wall wants out, and he's being discussed in trades. Russell Westbrook wants out because he plays for the Houston Rockets. And the New York Knicks need a point guard because nobody wants to play for them. So what if Russ goes to the Wizards, Wall goes to New York to carry on the legacy of washed-up star point guards like Stefan Marbury and Steve Francis, and then maybe Julius Randle and something else goes to Houston so they can add some size and shooting because you won't believe it, Julius Randle is actually a better shooter than Russell Westbrook. Um, so this just so many layers of um, sarcasm here from Xander in the email. What do you think about Wall's trade request that I mentioned earlier? Would you do a wall for Westbrook trade if you were either one of those uh, sides? And should New York just say, you know what? Our offseason was a joke. Whatever. Let's trade for one of these disgruntled point guards and just see what happens. Well, I mean, first of all, saying that Julius Randle is a better shooter than Russell Westbrook is like saying, you know, this tree bark tastes better than this tissue paper. Like, I did, that's just not, uh, uh, it's not a comparison. Michael, that really... what are you eating over there for Thanksgiving? So, <laughs> so sorry. I don't mean to be mean. It's the, we're, we're getting into the season of, 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 uh, being not mean so i apologize but i had to to no it's a great point though like if you're a knicks fan and they trade for russell westbrook you're reacting like one of your family members when you show up with a plate of tissue paper for dinner (laughs) right exactly um this i mean this is not this fake trade i i it's just not not the word um for anyone I i don't think it's really depressing um you know if i were the uh well start with washington yeah start with washington so john wall makes his you know he doesn't it's not officially a trade request he's no commenting when people ask him about it but he has made it clear according to (laughs) multiple reporters requested a trade yeah right right that he he would like out um how do you handle that if you're tommy shepherd at the wizards do you just say we understand john it's pretty hard to trade you do you say hey just give it a shot with beal let's try to recapture the magic do you consider pulling the trigger on a Russell Westbrook trade? Um, what are what are your you got nothing but bad options here? So what do you do? Look, th- I think we mentioned this before, but if you are on a supermax extension, you can't request a trade. That should be a rule in the NBA. Honestly, like I know he no commented, but. It's pretty clear. I don't know if you're just reading tea leaves like that he did. And he's coming off a torn Achilles. This contract is not movable. Um, I keep forgetting John Wall is even in the NBA, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I saw that there was a, a rumored um, or hypothetical wall to Detroit for Blake Griffin. Um, and in that type of transaction, Washington would have to give up an asset just because Wall's contract is a little bit longer. 
than Blake's. Um, so that's like something I would maybe consider if I was Washington. But like otherwise, it's just like we gave you a super max. We can't move you unless we give up like all these future assets to get off this money because you are dead weight right now around the league and you have absolutely no trade value. So just like sit there and shut up and smile. And everyone says you're looking great in the gym and you're in shape now. So like take the court for us next season and be happy about it. Like I, that, that's how I would handle it if I were the Washington Wizards. So if you're John Wall, though, and you're seeing these rumors, hey, maybe you're getting traded for Russell Westbrook after you just spent the last year plus rehabilitating do you understand why he would be kind of reacting emotionally and being like, fine, if you don't want me, trade me. I want out of here. Like that's kind of, that, that seemed like it was the vibe coming out. Um, you know, you spent 10 years with the Washington Wizards franchise, a lot of tough seasons. You had to be there for the the rough turnaround, the number one overall pick, all the pressure and mm-hmm. expectations, devastating injury. And now they're out here shopping you. Um, could you see why that would get to his pride a little bit? Why that would get him in his feelings and why he might... Uh, want out and and not be willing to look at the situation quite as logically as as you are and then Tommy Shepard when he had the opportunity to kind of uh, you know dismiss the trade talks was actually kind of honest about it and said yeah you know we're talking about people right now and and he's made it pretty clear that Bradley Beal is kind of the center fa- uh, centerpiece of that team um, mm-hmm. is that all a lot for John Wall to process I mean do, do you have any sympathy for his spot here or does this kind of just come back to like look dude i mean you're being paid an awful lot of money to handle these kinds of concerns you just need to do your job i mean i i hate being that guy who is like you're making a lot of money so be quiet he's making 40 million dollars this season he's making 43.8 million dollars the next season he has a $46.8 million player option yeah. Michael, in 2023. Does, does this fall under like the mo money, mo problems uh, adage <laughs> where like if you get paid $40 million and they happen to float you in a rumor for Russell Westbrook, that's just part of your job? That, that's kind of where I come down on it. Yeah, and I guess like also, you know, you're not actually going to get traded, so it's okay. Like no one can even take on your contract. If you're feeling that hurt about it, you know, um, play well. Yeah, channel, <laughs> channel the, the anger starts. on the court. Like, yeah, yeah. I just I don't understand it at all. Plus, he had you know there was some off court shenanigans that took place a couple months ago that I'm sure the Wizards as an organization weren't like too pumped about. Um, to be fair, to bring that up, but like you know, like he's 30 years old. He's coming off a torn Achilles and his greatest asset was his speed. And no one has seen him play in a competitive basketball game in a very, very long time. Like this type of stuff is totally natural to me. And the part of getting paid that much money is accepting criticism and dealing with it like an adult. I mean, as much as I've talked about how uh, disastrous it would be for teams to trade for Russell Westbrook, there's a strong argument it would be worse to trade for Wall, right? Just because if he gets re-injured one more time, that's it. And then that contract that you've described is just sitting on your books for years and years and years. The odds that Westbrook gives you production this year and next year, at least something on the court, it, to me, it's a much better than than the Wall situation. He was an all. He was an All Star last year. Russell Westbrook was. I mean, yeah, well, and made it All NBA team. I know that he was absolutely <laughs> atrocious in the bubble and was like the number one reason that Houston flamed out. But still, like technically, he is healthy now, and 
like an actual tech like i keep using the word technically which is really hurting my argument but he's a productive player and we don't really know what wall is yeah look if you're the knicks and you're gonna take uh, a chance on one of these two guys just make it westbrook don't don't sign up for the john wall experience and i think for washington this is a really tough start to their season right um they're trying to have this comeback story you know the sequel as tommy shepherd calls it between bradley beal and John Wall, and it gets torpedoed before they even get to training camp by Wall. Hopefully, he'll be able to work through those feelings and, and be able to get there out there on the court. But what you really don't want to have, I think, this season in particular, is a disgruntled player because there's no fans to hold guys accountable for effort, right? Like if you're going out there in an empty gym and you're not happy and you're not playing 100%, you're not locked in trying to make your teammates better and completely on board with the vision of the franchise, that's going to show through a lot in an empty uh, in an empty building. We saw that at times chemistry really uh, damaged teams you know, during the bubble experience. I expect the same thing happening this year. So uh, that would, would make me pretty nervous if I was Washington. It's just also just a tough blow for the fan base. You know, if you're sitting there like, Okay, well, we showed a little progress, uh, you know, during the bubble with some of the young players. Thomas Bryant had a couple nice games. You know, you go ahead and draft a, a Denny Abdia. Okay, great. You get Rui year two. Hey, we resigned Bertans. We've got the shooter. Here we go. And then Wall just kind of blows the whole thing up like two weeks before game start. Like that is, that's no fun for anybody. And so I, I kind of feel for that organization. We'll see how they respond. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Paid by up-level rewards. Paid participation required. Actor portrayal. Attention all listeners. Are you ready to earn $750? Well, get ready because I'm about to introduce you to GetMy750.com, the ultimate way to earn. Here's the scoop. Instead of just streaming shows or playing games on your phone for nothing, you have the chance to earn additional cash. That's right. From trying out new subscriptions to playing your favorite mobile games, you can get extra cash in your pocket. Simply sign up at GetMy750.com and follow the instructions to start earning immediately. So, what are you waiting for? Turn your favorite apps into real cash with GetMy750.com. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to earn rewards for things you're already doing on your phone. Check out GetMy750.com today. That's right. Get started right now at GetMy750.com. Just go to GetMy750.com. 
com or Google Get My 750 Cash. Follow the simple instructions and get your $750. That's GetMy750.com. GetMy750.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. All right, let's shift gears to a team that's got a little bit more of an optimistic outlook. Michael, now that all the dust has settled, how are you feeling about the Phoenix Suns? Ross wants to know, dare I ask if the Suns were a draft and free agency winner. So when you step back, not only the Chris Paul trade, uh, but they drafted Jalen Smith uh, at 10. They made some other you know, roster tinkering moves. They're feeling like they got a pretty solid uh, rotation for the first time in a long time. And you're also looking, Michael, at maybe what some of the other teams did in that second tier in the Western Conference, whether it's Portland's moves, whether it's Utah's moves. I know you like them. Whether it's Denver maybe taking a step back by losing a Jeremy Grant. How does Phoenix stack up to some of those teams now? Are you feeling even more bullish about it? Or has your initial excitement about the Chris Paul trade cooled at all? Where do you stand? Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of Phoenix's offseason in general. I mean, I, I, a big reason for that is the Chris Paul trade. Um, I, you know, they obviously that just transforms your franchise and it, it increases expectations and it, it changes the, the culture also. Um, but... Yeah, I like I love the Jay Crowder signing. Um, you know, this is someone who uh, was very effective in his role in the playoffs, in the bubble, uh, was in the finals, playing big minutes, uh, shot the ball extremely well. Um, you know, he is streaky. We we know this, and we know that he is a little bit limited. Uh, besides, in his ability to shoot threes, um, kick his legs out when he does shoot threes, and uh, defend kind of more quicker wings but you know playing him at the four next to Aiton you've got Bridges at the three or on the wing like I just think that you can really have a um that sounded very modern and potent uh, you know spread out space for Aiton to work I mean you've got yeah uh, Chris Paul and and, uh, Devin Booker should have oceans of space to work in right no, one hundred percent. I mean, um, Cam Johnson, Bridges again. I, I I do like them bringing back Saric uh, as their backup five. I think that was really smart, and uh, you can. I mean, their bench units could be really really uh, uh, frisky. And and signing Langston Galloway, who's low key one of the better shooters in basketball, and Etwan Moore. Like I just I really love those small little fringy signings that they made. And Javon Carter's a good defender. I, I am still, you know, a little perplexed by what they did in the draft with, you know, drafting someone who is a center or, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to play the four or what. I just, I just don't know what he's doing there. And if you have Aiton already at the five, that's just an interesting pick with the 10th overall selection. Um, but, uh, you know, all things considered, like, I, I like Phoenix. I like what Phoenix did here. I expect them to make the playoffs and it wouldn't surprise me if they won a playoff series. Whoa, they're going to the second round, Michael. It's possible. Anything's who are, possible. Who are they beating in the first round? Come on, Michael. Um, well, I did. I wasn't prepared for that follow-up question. So, uh, <laughs> no, well, what, what, what's the know. what's the scenario where they make the second round? I mean, like I would take Portland in a series over them. I would take Utah in a series over them. I mean, maybe they're getting Denver and somebody's injured or something. I mean, like, what's the what's the path? 
I, I mean, yeah, I, look, <laughs> the Western Conference is a total bloodbath. Um, like, I, I don't know. I'm just really high on, I'm like, I, I'm high on also, uh, like, the development of Booker with someone like Chris Paul uh, around him every day. And, you know, it, with the situation with Harden, maybe he does get traded, maybe he doesn't. Like, what if Booker makes this ridiculous leap forward offensively, which is a, a scary thought, and he's just starting in the All-Star game and he's one of the best 12 players in basketball? Like, is this conceivable? I think it is conceivable. I'm not saying it's it's probable. But if that happens, then all of a sudden, like, you are an ex- incredibly dangerous basketball team. Um, and, like, so I, I know I'm, I'm looking at them through a lens of the absolute peak optimistic outlook but i guess that's just the type of person i am ben uh well i love the optimism i'm struggling to see your vision i need it painted a little (laughs) bit more clearly maybe i need to like clean my glasses a little bit um well here's the thing i mean if booker takes that kind of a leap yeah they're going to be really really good we've been waiting for that here for two three four years and so it's like if if it finally comes then okay that's uh that's nice i guess my concerns for them i didn't like the jalen smith pick not that the world not the end of the world really um but Mm -hmm. not not a great decision there um when i look at chris paul i feel like he's the x factor like his health if he misses time if he regresses from an age standpoint if just the weird schedule of you know the season you know being turned around so quickly after the bubble and all that catches up to him if he just the wheels fall off because of age whatever it might be um they look a lot different to me, right? And we're the best version of the Suns requires the best version of Chris Paul. I don't see any other way around it. And then my other concern is I did like the idea of keeping Sarich in the middle, but if eight misses time and they don't have a guy like who they had Baines last year, who gave them a lot of really good winning minutes, um, mm-hmm. they, they feel a little thin behind eight and as well to me. Right. And so I think that he's, he's kind of gradually improved over the course of uh, his career. He definitely had a better season last year than the previous one. Definitely was better towards the end of last season than the beginning of last season, um, in part because he was suspended. But, um, like they're, they're really, uh, you know, they're really relying upon him too. And I don't completely trust DeAndre Ayton yet night to night to night. And, you know, his health, uh, like if he has a little ankle injury, like he had a couple times last year, I'm not sure where they go. They, they look a lot different. So I'm worried that there may be a little bit of paper tigers and that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be settling down closer to that seven or eight range. Have you given any thought to this whole play in tournament, uh, aspect to things, Michael, because, I'm starting to realize it could really shape the narratives for teams like this a lot because the way the NBA is going to do it this year, each conference is going to have a play-in tournament between um, the 7, 8, 9, and 10th seeds, right? So the 7 is going to play the 8. The winner of that gets the 7 seed. The 9 is going to play the 10. The loser of that is out. And then you're going to have uh, the loser of that 7-8 game play the winner of the 9-10 game, and that team gets to claim the 8th seed. So it's pretty possible if you're a 7th or an 8th seed that you're going to wind up losing your playoff spot after earning it during the course of the the season, sort of Mm -hmm. like what happened to the Memphis Grizzlies last year, right? Where their whole story coming into next season is different if they're a quote-unquote playoff team as uh, compared to being a quote-unquote lottery team because they lost that uh, playing game to the Blazers. I'm just I'm worried that a team like I don't know who would be Phoenix maybe um, or like maybe Charlotte in the Eastern Conference or something like that where they're going to get one of those seven or eight seeds right 
but they're going to wind up bombing out in the play-in round. And all of that work from the regular season is going to go to waste because they lost one or two games in that play-in round. And it's going to completely shape how everyone feels like their season went, right? Or like the Orlando Magic, for example. What if they win the seventh seed again, like for the 19th straight season, but they lose the play-in rounds to some other team and then they wind up you know, going home as a lottery team? I mean... The, 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 the play-in discussion is just totally not worth having whenever you mention an Eastern Conference team. I know, I'm like, I'm, I'm surprised that you're even throwing these, these franchises into the discussion. Like, I don't really care about Charlotte, whether or not they make the playoffs. I don't care about Orlando, whether or not they make the playoffs, because these teams are just going to absolutely get smacked in the first round regardless. Well, you're speaking but, my language, but you understand where I'm going with this, right? Like, yes, in the, in yes. the West, it's going to be a bloodbath, right? No, but I, I kind of view it the other way. Um, like, I'll flip it on its head and just say, like, it's more intriguing to me um, the fact that you can be a 10 seed uh, or a 9 seed and make the playoffs. Like, I think that that is way more fascinating because in the West, there's probably like, a, there's maybe 11 teams in the West that, like, deserve to make the playoffs i'm just looking at all these organizations now and what their expectations are heading into the season like well, here's the scenario i'm seeing like somehow phoenix claims the seven seed and houston for whatever reason like falls to the nine seed right and mm-hmm. james harden just gets red hot in two playing games and knocks chris paul and the suns out of the playoffs when they have to go head to head for that last spot right um that would be pretty heartbreaking. And if you had claimed the seven seed and you were the Suns and you'd been waiting a decade to make the playoffs and this was your highest moment of optimism <laughs> since Steve Nash left and it was all taken away from you based on the result of two games uh, next May, that would be pretty painful, man. That's all I'm saying. I'm just, I, I'm not predicting that on behalf of the Suns. I'm just saying that anyone in that situation, fan bases in that mix in the Western Conference, need to start preparing themselves for that particular type of heartbreak because it's a new type of heartbreak. Yeah. Can I just say, if you're worried about that as the Phoenix Suns, you know what you can do, Ben? You can... Become the sixth seed. Be the the sixth seed. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. Or don't lose in the play-in. That's that's another option for you. Those are the two. Because if you want to like be a good team, you have to win games. Like That's what it's all about. So this is the system. You got to kind of roll with it. Um, but I am more fascinated by just opportunities for, you know, I, I don't think Minnesota is going to be in this conversation so soon, but it, like that is the pipeline for them. And that, that, that gives them hope to win throughout the regular season and get into that, you know, be a 10 seed or the, even the Pelicans with Zion. Um, I, I think that that is just like, that's good for the league ultimately. All right, let's shift gears. We got another question. Comes in from Thaddeus. You know, he's always got these crazy conspiracy theories. Here's one of his. He says, Michael Jordan has suddenly gone light years ahead. If the smoke regarding Gordon Hayward to Indiana is to be believed, that they apparently were willing to part with Miles Turner to Boston to make that trade happen. If that's true, uh, that's a tough look on Danny Ainge, but maybe MJ jumped to make an under-the-table deal. Is it possible there's already a backdoor trade in place after Hayward becomes trade eligible? Uh, Jordan could turn Hayward into Miles Turner, who would fit the rest of the age uh, group on the Hornets much better and fill their biggest need at the center position. 
I don't see why the Pacers wouldn't want to flip Miles Turner and Doug McDermott for Gordon Hayward. There's no indication in the past that MJ is capable of doing something like this, and it's incredibly likely he just overpaid an aging former star who lost most of his athleticism and waived a guy in Nicholas Batum that now cuts his cap by $9 million each of the next three years. So Thaddeus is arguing with himself here, Michael. He can't decide if MJ is a, a brilliant one-step-ahead <laughs> thinker or if he's just the same guy kind of stuck in the past that we've always seen. Do you have uh, the ability to help Thaddeus reach a conclusion here? And we should note, apparently, they're trying to work out a sign-and-trade with Boston potentially that would help them not uh, take that hit on the cap with the Nicholas Batum situation, but we're still waiting for details on that. What do you think? Is it possible that Gordon Hayward is sort of a trade ship, that uh, Charlotte signed him to move him later? You know, I don't think when you haven't made the playoffs in 20 years and then you sign someone, you finally get someone to come in the door and take your money. I don't think the best move for you from a reputation perspective is to just flip that $120 million contract. And I also don't think that anybody is chomping at the bit, including the Indiana Pacers, to get that $120 million contract. Like that is, it's... It's one of the worst contracts in the entire league right now. So even though Miles Turner's fit is not superb uh, right now in Indiana, like I, you know, I just don't think that that is uh, desirable on either by by any party. And I also just want to quickly say, like, I don't think Miles Turner is like I don't want to pile on him or anything, but. It didn't surprise me that the Celtics were not willing to engage in a sign-and-trade for Turner and a player who they did not view as more valuable than Turner, if that makes any sense to you. Like, do you agree? Do, like, how do you view Miles Turner in this whole discussion? Because I, I just don't, like, I'm much happier with Tristan Thompson and the Celtics, and I think they are too, than paying Miles Turner that much money to be someone who is super tall and can't rebound. Like I, so how do you, how do you feel about Miles Turner? I think uh, Tristan Thompson at his price is probably better for Boston than Miles Turner at his price. Um, I think that Turner just needs to go, and so part of the issue uh, in Indiana is they, you know, Sabonis came up and just kind of jacked a spot. So yep. then it, it turns into this thing of like, well. Indiana probably just needs to give him away. So you don't really want to give that much to get him, right? So it's sort of like, look, we'll take him if you insist, but like, we're not exactly going to blow you away with counter offers for him. Um, I kind of like this idea of, hey, maybe Hayward is just a, a helpful piece that can help, you know, take your roster the next level down the road. But the reason why Charlotte got him in the first place was that nobody else wanted to pay uh, Hayward as much as they did, right? I mean, they're, they're definitely paying a major premium, I'm sure over what Indiana or Atlanta or any of those other teams wanted to to pay for him. Uh, at the same time, if you fast forward a year uh, and some teams strike out in free agency looking for kind of the big names next summer, is there uh, some team that would want to come along and talk themselves into it? Maybe he plays his way onto an all-star team uh, just because he's got a massive role and you know he's a, a decent all-around you know lead playmaker mm -hmm. on the wing. I could see a scenario where that takes place. Um, but again, if he's playing that well, Charlotte's going to want to keep him because they're always desperate to be, you know, somewhat relevant. So I think he's there for a while. We're going to see how he likes it. I'm not totally convinced that that situation is going to be the world's best fit, um, especially as LaMelo is, you know, going to be trying to learn on the fly. And uh, that's going to be a, a dicey dynamic, I think, for control of the basketball. Here's a fun um, question coming in from Alex in L.A. It has to do with my theory, Michael. 
that Oklahoma City should maybe package together all of their draft picks into a crazy Ricky Williams style trade. Uh, you know, I was saying that maybe for Cade Cunningham or uh, Imani Bates, you know, one of these big time high school basketball prospects and college basketball prospects who are coming up in the draft pipeline. Alex has a different idea. He says, my question's about a deadline deal for Giannis. After the debacle of free agency, he has to be doubting his future in Milwaukee. I know the Bucks say they aren't trading him, but what if Presti just put all 15 round, uh, first round picks on the table in a trade? Or maybe he gives up 12 picks and three young players. If they're staring at a 50-50 chance of losing him in Milwaukee, or maybe even a 25% chance, can they really afford to turn down 15 picks and assets for one player? I realize this might be more of a Daryl Morey move than a Sam Presti move, but no team has ever collected this much draft capital, and we've never seen so many picks changing hands in deals before. So Alex is basically envisioning you know, my dream scenario here, where it's like, all right, we're going all in, just hoping to make it work. What do you think, Michael? What would prevent this from taking place? And do you think Presti should be trying to do something like this? The Bucks are never trading Giannis. That's number one. Like, I don't care how many picks are getting thrown their way. And, like, why would the Thunder move all of this capital for a player who is almost certainly going to walk in free agency or demand a trade uh, quickly after resigning? Because, like, OKC has absolutely no avenue to build a competitive team around him. And as good as Giannis is, in the Western Conference, he's either not making the playoffs at all or losing in the first round. So, yeah, no, this is just a lose-lose all around for me, I hate to say. Well, here's what I like about the idea. You need to have this exact, (laughs) not this particular idea, but the concept of of what Uh Alex is going for. You just need to find a star player who's not the flight risk, right? You need to find an unhappy star who's locked in for multiple years to his current contract where you can just get him in-house you know, charm him with that Oklahoma City charm, give up all those draft picks to make a deal happen. And of course, I'm talking about James Harden, Michael. What if Sam Presti did Alex's idea, had the James Harden homecoming in Oklahoma City? You've got him for a couple of years. Uh, You can try your best to build a roster around him. I'm not saying specifically Harden, but maybe a player in Harden's uh, position could you, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, flip this entire script and say, look, you're our guy. You don't really have a choice. We're going to prove to you that we're a winning organization. We can put talent around you. Just come here and try it out. Could you ever see a team that's assembling as much uh, draft capital as Oklahoma City has taking a chance like that? <sighs> I mean, the scenario where that happens is if ownership says, guess what? We're winning right now like I don't like we're making the playoffs we're being competitive next season like that is the only scenario I can see where Presti accelerates this thing because just where where it looks right now this is super organic super patient um I can't see him flipping these picks unless he was getting two or three max caliber players in return um and not he doesn't have to trade all 15 okay no i know i know (laughs) he could trade eight (laughs) or nine or whatever i mean i I think that the idea here is that Presti just has the ability to completely bend our norms i hope it happens i hope something like this happens i also think if you're houston 
and you're sitting there you know, like with some guys who don't want to be there and you're scrounging up offers and maybe the best you've got is that Nets package that we've talked about with Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie and you know a couple first round picks maybe three four first round picks versus maybe it's Ben Simmons from Philly and whatever else you can get for Harden if a team came along and was like look we have painstakingly collected draft picks through a series of trades that has gone back the last nine years we're going to give you all of them for James Harden like which of those offers would you take I'd be pretty inclined I mean even if you're trading Harden against his will which is always very dangerous in the NBA and rarely happens I would be pretty inclined to look at that uh, Oklahoma City Thunder draft pick stash, wouldn't you? Uh, sure, I guess. Um, you know, don't get angry at me, but I I want to sidebar for two seconds Please. and say that I'm so close to picking Houston to win the championship again. No, I, 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 I need, Michael. I, I, I know. I need to be put in a straitjacket or something. Um, I've been just like hunkered down watching Christian Wood film, um, just the, the, the incredible touch that he has around the basket, the size, the length. Like, the DeMarcus Cousins signing comes out of nowhere. He's looking good. Like, I, I just, I need help, Ben. I need, like, a, an intervention or something from people who I love in my life. You need a big plate of stuffing and mashed potatoes, bro. You need to get your mind right. You need to take a step back. You're too far down the wormhole. They're not winning the title this year. I can promise that. Take it to the bank. I'm going to make the same promise to you I made last year. If they win the title, I will buy you a Russell Westbrook jersey. I will personally autograph it and send it to you, okay? <laughs> Guess what? Good. Six years in a row. Haven't had to fulfill that uh, th- that bargain quite yet. Not counting on it anytime soon. Um, so this was just sort of like a hypothetical situation, but I do hope it would come along. I think Alex, the, the big hang up is actually Oklahoma city's market. If they did try to, you know, package all these picks together to get a current star, it's very rare. You could get one who would come and, and be happy in Oklahoma city as the only person, um, if there was not anyone else there. So if Shea blows up and turns into a top 10 player, maybe your strategy would work out down the road. Um, but I think Paul George was absolutely the exception to this. You know, he was at least open-minded to coming to Oklahoma City and making it work with Westbrook in a, in a scenario where most people didn't think most stars would. But that didn't last very long, and I'm sure they learned some lessons from that experience too. All right, we got a couple other quick questions from th- uh, Thunder fans or reactions anyways. Cade writes, your guys' analysis of the Thunder's trades and long-term planning are spot on. We appreciate the recognition of the challenges facing small market teams and the work Sam Presti has done year in after year to keep the team competitive. He says, I can confirm that the majority of the fan base is sold on the idea of a rebuild. Ever since we lost Kevin Durant in 2016, the team has been nothing but mediocre. Some of our teams were great on paper, but the cold hard truth most of us realized by 2018 and 2019 was that we were never going to build a contender around Russell Westbrook. And by the way, Cade says, I've gone from someone who defended him regularly to agreeing with the majority of your takes. Despite the occasional misstep, Presti has gained enough trust with the majority of the fan base to go into a rebuild, and we know that the odds are great for him to maximize assets, develop talent, and build a contender in the next two to five years, depending on our draft and trade luck. I just wanted to read that email because it is so level-headed. Rarely do you hear fan bases where their team gets taken apart, where they're able to kind of see things with that level of vision. I think it's a real credit to Presti um, and and their fan base as well. Um, we got a question here also from Patrick who says, um, 
in response to your question from the last open floor about how Thunder fans feel about the teardown, I have to say that given all the circumstances around the league, it was probably the right move. We just don't want to stay in the middle. That's the worst thing you can do. Um, just ask the Orlando Magic. And then he decides to, to float some various ideas about James Harden trades. And, and Patrick came up with a, a destination that you and I have not talked about, Michael. He says, mm-hmm. what about New Orleans for James Harden? They've got salaries to match. They have assets. They wouldn't even have to include half of their draft picks. They'd immediately open a championship window for Zion. And when Harden fades, Zion would be entering his prime. And now you can build around him. So what do you think about New Orleans as a landing pad, either for uh, James Harden or for another big star out there, whoever the next disgruntled star is? Um, I don't know how much sense the Pelicans roster makes uh, right now. They just re-signed Brandon Ingram to a five-year extension. Uh, They they re-signed actually Steven Adams as well to a contract extension after trading for him. Do these pieces fit? Would it make sense if they tried to part with some of them to go and, and, and go big game hunting in the trade market? What do you think? I'm confused as to what exactly the Pelicans are doing, and not not necessarily in a bad way at all. Um, I think building around Zion is a really tricky proposition for a variety of reasons. He's just so unique in how he plays, and there's so much pressure on them to get it right. But the move that they made with Drew Holiday kind of kind of tells me that they're not really in the market for someone like James Harden, right? Like a thirty. 31-year-old player, um, all-star. I mean, obviously, Harden is on a different level than Holiday is. Um, but, you know, mortgaging some of their future assets and uh, and really kind of cramping their own style for when Zion is actually in his prime and they're not able to really retool around him and Harden's long gone, like, that's not the smart play here because you're not going to win the championship anytime soon or in the next couple of years, I would think. Um so I can't I can't see it. I think it's really interesting, but I can't actually see it as a destination. Yeah, um, I think. Well, what do you think long term about like Brandon Ingram? Do you feel like he's a fit there? Because he is a Ingram. piece where I wonder where like, you know, to be his best version, he needs to have the ball in his hands. You have to turn him more into a playmaker. Is that really going to happen with all those guards that they've assembled and Zion's need for the basketball, too? Uh, it just feels like they've got multiple different identities here. They have the the rough and tumble front court. They've got all these you know guards fighting for the ball in the back court. Ingram's kind of trapped in between. Is there a scenario where you trade Ingram, multiple other pieces, and you're kind of consolidating, going out and grabbing a guy like a Bradley Beal, or in a very best case scenario like he's mentioning a James Harden or some other player uh, along that type of line? What do you think? Well, I, I love Ingram. I'm not moving Ingram. I think he's worth the max. He's a 23-year-old all-star who shot 40% from the three-point line on six attempts last year, 24 points a game, six boards, four assists. Like Those are really impressive numbers. And uh, Did he impact like, I, winning? Well, I mean, you know, uh, Drew Holiday was also on that team, and they just gave – the Milwaukee Bucks just gave like a boatload to get him. So, obviously, they don't – really care too much about the fact that the Pelicans were super disappointing. I, I think they were disappointing for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to put that on Ingram. I, you know, the, 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 uh, judgment that a player needs the ball in his hands. I think we, there's some way to like parse through that criticism in a way, like, cause well, of put course, it this like, way. Need- not only does he need the ball, but he stops the ball. He dribbles a lot. Mm, He's taken mm, a lot okay. of twos. 
He's out there on the wing doing his thing, and he wants to drive into the paint and attack the rim. That's when he's at his best. But now you've got Steven Adams and Zion in there, you know, like that's a lot of bodies for him to, to be driving through. So I guess what I'm, you know, concerned about is just overall fit questions, not totally blaming him, but I don't yeah. think he was good enough to turn them into a winner by himself last year when he was the lead guy when Zion was out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really view him as an all-star level player right now. I think he's good, I, but I I wouldn't have voted for him last year. Um, and I just think like the fit with him and Zion is really tricky. And you're not going to want to use Ingram as just a floor spacing three point shooter, and you're and you're letting your guards run your offense right. next year. That that's selling him short. So I just think long term he should be a player who we're kind of having on the trade radar, and he could be a nice piece if you're um, again if you're shopping a, a star who's not happy, and your options are the Nets package or the Ben Simmons package. Would you rather have a Ben Simmons package or a Brandon Ingram package? Ooh, that's a fascinating one. Um... I think I I think okay. I'll, my opinion about this will probably change like tomorrow, but I think that I'd rather build around Ben Simmons. But I think Brandon Ingram is a better player. That's how that's, I'll answer that. That's a fair way to put it. I think I would actually still say Simmons is a slightly better player just because of the two way impact. But I think if mm-hmm. you have to play a certain style um, with Simmons, that's even more rigid than the style you're going to play with Ingram. And so, depending mm-hmm. on where you are and what your other pieces look like, there's a strong case that you know an Ingram package would be better. And I think that we talk an awful lot about Simmons trade packages, and as a society, we're not talking nearly enough about Ingram trade packages. So maybe we should uh, follow uh, follow our emailers uh, guide here, Patrick, and and start you know making up um, more of these scenarios because the Pelicans have done an awful lot. They've accumulated a, a lot of trade chips. The current situation doesn't really work. Could it be enough to get them into the playoff mix? Maybe, but I don't see a cohesive long-term uh, strategy or rotation yet. And so I think that David Griffin's just going to continue to be up to stuff. Michael, do you have any other favorite James Harden trade destinations quickly that we have not discussed yet? I'm saying other than Philly, mm-hmm. other than Brooklyn, other than um, anybody else we've mentioned. Yeah, it's it's just so tough to get uh, a, a realistic destination for Harden. Um, I mean... Minnesota could be sneaky if they just don't care about what happens after uh, his current contract expires, or maybe they're able to, you know, uh, trade and then extend his current contract um, with the promise of, hey, like we have Carl Towns, um, we have, I guess it depends on what you want to package to 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 entice Houston to kind of take this deal, but. Obviously, uh, uh, Gearson comes from Houston, uh, is familiar with Harden. Harden's familiar with him. They have a relationship. Um, so, I mean, I could see, like, Anthony Edwards, uh, Malik Beasley, and, like, two future firsts or three future firsts and two pick swaps. Like, uh, something weird like that. Um, but I, I just don't think that that's enough at the end of the day. And I also think that it would be just, like, suicide if you're Minnesota to, to trade for this guy because he's going to leave. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's just too hard. I, I do think that his market has, <laughs> I'm like, I just can't talk myself into that if I'm, if I'm Minnesota, because no, first of all, he, he might not even show up to camp, right? You know, it could be one of those situations. Like it's going to be Jimmy Butler times 10. And then, you know, I think that he's narrowed his market pretty considerably, sort of like Anthony Davis did. And it could wind up just forcing him to play in Houston this year. And maybe he's going to lead them to the title like you've predicted. All right. One final last fun question here, Michael, for you. It comes in from Jesse and Jessica. 
in Florida, and they're responding to my idea that the Orlando Magic should be willing, or uh, sorry, unwilling to trade uh, Nikola Vucevic in a Russell Westbrook deal, but they should be willing to trade their mascot in such a deal. And they were very offended by this. Uh, Jesse writes, I couldn't help but write in to push back against Ben's mascot slander. On the last episode, you said trading Terrence Ross and Vucevic was way too much in a, a Westbrook trade. Ben said he would be willing to trade the Magic's mascot for Westbrook. Ben, as an NBA nomad now living in Florida, I have been to many arenas over the years, and I can promise you that one of the stars who bursts with energy, joy, charisma, athleticism, balance, and brings hope to a franchise and a city with his infectious personality is Stuff the Magic Dragon, not Russell Westbrook. Yes, Stuff deserves some respect on his name. My wife and I drove two hours to attend a Bucks versus Magic game earlier this year where the Magic got blitzed bad and Giannis effectively had the win in the bag by the third quarter. And you know what my wife and I remember most about that game is Stuff the Magic Dragon climbing up an approximately 1,000 foot ladder and raining basketballs down at the rim during halftime. Um, it was incredible. Such a way to entertain and inspire Orlando fans at the peril of its own life. Wow. That was a very, very strong defense of Stuff the Magic Dragon. Michael, do you have any Stuff takes? I mean, he did really kind of steal the show during Aaron Gordon's dunk contest with the hoverboard Mm -hmm. that one year. I mean, excellent execution. I will give him credit there. Do I need to retract my statement about trading Stuff the Magic Dragon for Russell Westbrook? Is he untouchable in these deals? I think he is untouchable. Um, I... I, I loved his performance, as you said, uh, in that dunk contest with Aaron Gordon. They should have won. They were robbed. Um, I mean, he is one of the better mascots, too. I, I just like thinking about his aesthetics. And obviously, they have nothing else going on for them. I'm sorry, Orlando. Uh, you just don't. Um, listen to our last episode when I just you know, uh, had some criticism for their offseason and their approach as an organization. Um but I, I have two other mascots that I actually think are cooler. Oh. Than, you have, than stuff, though. So who is your favorite mascot? Like if we're doing power rankings, do you have a favorite? Yeah. I do. Um, I have a favorite and a least favorite. And those who know me well know who my least favorite is. And we don't really have to get into that right now. But my favorite Wait, is... Wait, your least favorite is that guy for the Celtics, right? Little Lucky the Leprechaun? <laughs> Lucky, yeah. Yep, bingo. That's it. And uh, yeah, we don't need, we don't need to get it. It's a whole long thing that'll just extend this podcast by like forty five minutes. But um, th- my favorite is Clutch the Bear, Houston Rockets. Just lovable, cuddly, hilarious. I still don't really understand why it's a bear necessarily, but I do love the I love the enthusiasm that Clutch brings. I love how he waddles around the court. I love when he goes into the crowd and he has a birthday cake and he slams it against someone's face, even though those are staged exercises. They're hilarious to me. I never get sick of them. So Clutch is just like the best mascot, in my opinion. I'm having a hard time not being a jerk here. It's incredible that Houston has continued to call themselves Clutch City based on the last (laughs) five to seven years of the playoffs. I'm wondering, should they rebrand the mascot as Choke the Bear? What do you think? Oh, geez. I mean, uh... (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. Uh, It's a great nomination. Uh, What about the Raptor? Mm -hmm. I feel like the Raptor usually goes very Mm -hmm. early on these power rankings. Like if you're doing a draft of the mascots, 
I don't think he's overrated, though. I think he's got a lot to his game. I think he's right there in the mix in terms of entertainment factor, keeping people engaged, distinct look, just kind of owning who you are. It fits with the franchise. What bothers me is sort of what you're describing with that bear. Why is it a bear? How does it exactly fit? Do we really associate it? Like the Blazers, you know, bless their hearts, they got this thing called a trail cat. Nobody knows what a trail cat is. Is that something you eat for a hike? Like what is, you know, what is a trail cat? No idea. Um, I think actually during this upcoming season, Michael, this is a proposal I would make. Um, I'm just waiting for Adam Silver to call me and ask for my advice. What do you think about a mandatory mascot for every team? Because there's no fans in the building. What if every team had to commit to bringing a mascot in and having full shows, you know, maybe not necessarily doing halftime shows, but we want to step up the mascot game, make sure that they can tumble. They don't have to be Simone Biles, but they need to be able to do some jumping jacks and some, you know, kick flips and all that sort of stuff. And that's going to just, you know, spice up your television broadcast. Are you in mandatory mascots? Because not every team has one. No, I'm I'm in. I I want the Celtics to get a real mascot, and I want um, you know, first of all, like how many teams don't? Because I'm now I'm trying to think. The Lakers definitely do not have a mascot. Um, what other organizations don't have a mascot? Do you know off the top of your head? I did the Warriors kill their mascot because I thought his name was Thunder. <laughs> his name was Thunder, and I'm pretty sure they got rid of him. And I don't think that they replaced him. Um, but then there's other teams like the Clippers who have two mascots. And so I would actually be in favor of that. If your current team has one mascot, you've got to have two. If your current team has zero mascots, you've got to <laughs> add one. And if you're like the Clippers and you've already got two, you need to have three. We just need to expand the ranks of the mascots for this season. The, I didn't even know that the Clippers had two. I knew they had the Pelican, right? And then, or is it a Pelican? I'm not even sure. I remember it's when I was there. Chuck it's, the Condor, actually. Oh, I'm please. so sorry. Apologies. I'm just channeling my inner Robin Lopez right now. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, more mascots would be, would really up the entertainment factor for sure, especially in these places where there's not going to be. Like, if you're the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers, fans. why don't you have three guys dressed up as the three musketeers coming on, you know, at at uh, at halftime, doing a little coordinated sword activity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's better than watching the team. As long as, yes, I love how we're ending every episode just taking a dig at the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, as long as they're actually dressed up as mascots, like I can't even tell you how like disturbing it is that Lucky is just a guy in a three, like a, a like a, a, a green vest that has, I, I, see, I'm getting flustered right now. I can't even, it's just, it's too much for me. So Michael, um, I, as, I have a different psychological opinion on your take about Lucky. Okay, hit me. I think you're deeply jealous of Lucky. I think that <laughs> you view yourself as, you know, you, you told us in, months ago, you had incredible mm-hmm. leaping ability in high school. Um, yes. You're obviously a diehard, you know, green beer drinking uh, Celtics uh, fan for life. Uh, I imagine you look great in hats. You work for GQ, so you've got all sorts of fashion advice. I think that you want to be the 21st century lucky. You want to step in with a, a nicer outfit. Um, you know, you want to step up like the the new age version of lucky. You want to take lucky to a new level. And you just kind of feel like right now the current version of lucky is a little bit disappointing. What do you say? I've never felt like anyone has read me uh, with less accuracy than you just did. <laughs> 
Well, Michael, that's what they call denial, okay? Let it marinate. <laughs> Same thing happened a couple of weeks ago. I told you, think about the James Harden trade to Brooklyn. What do you know? We spoke it into mm-hmm. existence. I want you to spend this long holiday weekend asking your wife, honey, should I rebrand as the Celtics mascot? Lucky, should I bring the franchise into the 21st century? See what happens. You never know, Michael. Uh, it could work out great for you, or you might not pick up my call when I call on Monday. Hey, in, <laughs> until then, guys... Check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Please follow Michael on Twitter and Instagram at Michael V as in Victor Pina. He's such a good sport. You can tell he's raging right now about the lucky comparisons. Um, but don't worry. he's uh, He'll be back uh, next week right on schedule. Michael, they can email us openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. One final thanks, guys, for the great emails that carried this show and for all the emails you've sent all season long. I know Michael and I very much appreciate it. It's the week of gratitude and we are expressing ours towards you. I'm on Instagram at ben.golliver, on Twitter at ben.golliver. Please make good decisions this holiday weekend. We'll check back next, next week. Hey, Michael, until then, I'll talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.